Heavenly Father, we gracious come before you and humbly come before you right now because we surely need you. You are our one defense, our righteousness. Oh, Lord, how we need you. We need you for any and everything that, it, that we do throughout the course of the day. And even though we oftentimes feel like we're uh, doing things on our own, put our own selves up by our own bootstraps, you're the one that's completely and totally in control. You're the one who is sovereign. And for that, we say thank you for loving us in such a special and mighty way that you have not left us nor forsaken us. That even when we felt we could not stand, you were there to pick us up and put us back on the right path. Oh, Lord, how we need you. To do the things that we take for granted. To love in the way that you have called us to love. To give in the way that you have called us to give. Father, we need you. To go out into this, into this world and to, to face the battles that, that come before us every moment of every day. Lord, we need you to stand up and have the courage and the strength to tell people about your son. Father, we need you. Even just to get up in the morning to come and worship with you on a Sunday morning. Father, we need you. We thank you just for being so faithful to your people. We thank you just for being here with us and loving us in, in a way that is unimaginable in a way that you sent your son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have a life that is everlasting. Father, we need you. As we open up your text this morning, we wait with anticipation for you to speak to us through your word this morning. Father, use me as your humble servant this morning. Give me the words to say and how to say them. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer, in whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a good reminder for us of how much we do need the Lord. How we try to accomplish things on our own, and but man... I don't know about you, but that rocks me just thinking about how much I truly need him and how faithful he's been, how he shows up every single time because he loves you and I that much. Even when times are not good, times are not great, we're going through our own struggles, what we realize when we come out on the other side that he's been carrying us the whole way. He's been so good. We're going to continue our series this morning and um, going through spiritual disciplines. And You know, I got to get some things off my chest. Can I do that here today? Um, I mean, we're, we're all family. And, and I see other pastors, and I talk to other pastors that uh, they don't feel like they can be honest and truthful with their congregations because uh, they have their, their, their paycheck and things that depend on their livelihood, right? So I don't want to make too many people mad. 
because they, they might stop giving. I don't have that problem. And, and it's, a, it's my responsibility as your pastor to tell you like it is. And, and I'm going to do that. So hopefully you got some steel toe boots on today. But by and large, when I look at us as Christians, I think we do a, a terrible job of following Christ. I think there's a lot of room for improvement, not only just people here in the room, but especially when you look at the world and you see people on television who claim to be Christians, they're Christians in name only, giving us a bad name. I posted a statistic on Facebook yesterday that in Illinois, 12% of evangelicals, they come to service, they come to worship every week. 12% of people who call themselves Christian are in attendance on a Sunday morning in worship. That's a Christian in name only for the other portion of that. (laughs) I I can't believe it. How do you proclaim to be a Christ follower? How do you proclaim to be a Christian and you're not amongst God's people on a regular basis? And you're not going to worship. You're not going anywhere to get equipped to hear God's word and, and be taught on a regular basis. That's, that's not how a Christian acts. That's not what Jesus did. And we're supposed to be following Jesus and what he, who he was and what he taught. But here we are, only 12% of people who call themselves Christians actually get up, get out of bed, and attend worship services on a Sunday morning. Wow, that's amazing to me. You know, when I think about this, is I see these people that are much like the Pharisees that Jesus chastised in Scripture, Matthew 23 and 27. It says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. See, Jesus didn't pull no punches, so why should I? He says, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanliness. (laughs) I mean, he came at them. He was very seriously. And I feel, uh, and I fear that if Jesus were to come today, if he were to talk to many of us, he would have a similar judgment on us as we walk around trying to keep up appearances. You may take care of what people can see and you take pride in all of those other things, but you neglect what God can see. You have a heart of stone that's cold and unkept. It's like if you have a house and you paint the outside, but the inside is falling apart. Is, is unlivable inside. And frankly, we did this with this church for a long time. We would paint the walls and wax the floors while behind those walls are the, the rotting and rusting pipes that we're dealing with. Trying to keep up appearances but not taking care of the things that are behind that really matter. Matthew 23 and 25 Again, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside 
of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. What are you doing? Who do you think you are? You're not fooling nobody. Jesus confronted these leaders who didn't practice what they preached. They would say one thing and they would go do something other. And this is why we see people falling away from the church. This is why you see celebrity pastors falling away because they're saying one thing and they're leading a totally different life and they don't have people to hold them accountable. They don't have anybody they can go to and be honest with, but people that love them enough to call them out and ask them to do better to point them back to Jesus. See, Jesus confronted these leaders who didn't practice what they preached, and he said they were like whitewashed tombs. And these people were leading themselves, and they were leading others to death and separation from God. And to me, that matters more. Like, it's cool that you guys like me. I hope, I hope you love me. But I love Jesus more. And, and I want you to love Jesus more. I want you to know Jesus. And if it takes me standing up here to call you out to step on some toes, I'm going to do that. Because that's what's important, is your well-being, your salvation. Because God forbid you, you get to see him and you stand before him in judgment. And you say, well, Pastor Vaughn never told me. I thought I was good. I thought I was doing all the right things. I thought I was okay. Don't fool yourself. We will get there together by working with one another, holding each other accountable, loving each other enough to call each other out or to call each other in, to be there, support one another, to love one another. You know, for people who are close to us, even in this congregation, there's a lot of people that, that haven't been here in a while. And that happens from time to time. People just, they, they fall away a little bit or their life gets in the way or whatever have you. They disappear for a few weeks or even a month. And later only to find out that their life has been in shambles. They stay away because they not only don't want to face others in the midst of their storm, but they don't want to face their own reality. So they just say, oh, I'm going to stay away because I don't want people to know what's going on in my life, how, how jacked up things are being. And so they withstand from coming to worship. They don't come to events and they hide, not just from you and me, but they're, they're hiding from themselves as well. Brothers and sisters, this is the time we need others the most. When you're going through something, that's when you need somebody else. And I'm preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching to you because I have a ten tendency to, to withdraw as well. I just want to crawl up into a little hole and hope things go away. But that is the moment indeed where you need to pull somebody else in and let them know what's going on in your life. That's when you need others the most so they can help to pick you up. They can be on the knees with you and to be, be praying with you. They can be crying with you and taking your, your needs to the Lord together with you. Nothing breaks my heart more 
than when people um, are away from church for an extended period only to come back and, and tell me about all the challenges they went through, all the struggles they went. And I'm like, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you give me the opportunity to at least be praying for you? Why did you go through that by yourself? God has placed you here in this local assembly so that we can comfort one another. We can encourage one another, lift each other up. You didn't have to go through that by yourself. We are here to take care of family. And when people have struggled with their rent or their mortgage, and they have humbled themselves enough to come and say, I need help, we've been able to help and do so discreetly. You know, when people uh, have trouble or the kids get in trouble or they've been in trouble themselves and maybe struggle with uh, law enforcement or whatever it is, and they, they bring it to us, we've been able to pray with them and support them through those things because they weren't alone. And they humble themselves enough to say, I need help. I can't do this by myself. That's right. That's why we're here. But people want to act like they got all their stuff together. That they don't have any of those struggles. You know, when you're going through these things in your mind, you might feel like uh, you feel this, this guilt and you feel the shame of whatever's going on in your life. And you think that everybody has their stuff together and everybody else's life is perfect except for you. Well, nobody is going to understand or they're going to judge me because of X, Y, and Z. Let me tell you that nobody has a perfect life. None of us do. As much as you might like to pretend, none of us have a perfect life. The only one who is perfect is Jesus. He is the one that lived a perfect life. Now, yes, that's what we strive to but you are going to fall on your face every single time because you, my friends, are not Jesus. But there's grace in that. There's grace that, that the Lord will come and pick you up, dust you off, and put you back. Social media has only made this worse and we put on this facade with social media. People take 50 selfies just to post that one perfect one. And that's the one you get to see. And you see it over and over again. And you're like, oh, they just have the, the perfect life. They got the perfect marriage. They got the perfect house. They got the perfect cars. Only to talk to them directly and, or to see that what their life really looks like and you see something different. When they can't be manicured on Instagram, you get a very different picture of what that looks like. You see, when God gave us his law, it was less about what to do or not to do and more about the position of our heart. When God gave us the law, he gave it to reflect the flaws in our own life and show us how much we need a savior. That was the whole purpose of the law to tell us and show us how messed up we are and that we can't clean ourselves up by our own might, that we need somebody to come do it for us, to live a life that we cannot live. You know, and I've said it before that the, the law is like a mirror that reveals that you have food in your teeth. You'd want to know if you had food in your teeth, right? 
You wouldn't, you wouldn't walk around looking crazy and you got uh, spinach in your teeth or something going on. It, just because you don't acknowledge or admit that there's food in your teeth doesn't mean that it's gone away. You can try to hide it all you want, but as soon as you open your mouth, everybody sees. That's what the law does for us. To show us how broken that we are and how much we are in need of a savior. Savior. So this brings us to the spiritual different discipline of confession. Proverbs 28 and 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. You see, the concept of confession can often evoke feelings of discomfort and guilt. Nobody wants to do this. We, we don't want to address it with ourselves, much less tell somebody else. And I know I've been through this. It felt like if I just stuffed it down enough that it would just go away. If, if I didn't put any focus on it, then I would be fine and, and if everything would be good and just turn around, never really addressing the root of the problem. So as believers, we're called to confess our sins to one another and to God. And it's an essential aspect of this Christian faith in our walk with Jesus, but it can often be uncomfortable. It can be intimidating. I'm not going to lie. It's not easy. So why is confession important? Why is this a thing? And what does the Bible say about it? Uh, some of you might have pictures in your mind of uh, this, this is usually talked about in, in a Catholic sense where you go and you have confession and you stand outside and, and talk to somebody else and they tell you to do some things and this is not what I'm talking about. I don't think we see that particular model in the Bible and Scripture. Um, you, God is the one who forgives and, and he has given us authority when we hear from somebody else to forgive them as well when we've been sinned against. So we don't need to find the, the priest, the, the, the one and only to go and be the arbiter for, for these things necessarily. So this morning as we talk about confessions, there are several key scriptures that we're going to talk through. We're going to start with 1 John 1 and 9. 1 John 1 and 9 where it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then James 5 and 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. You see, in the book of 1 John, it was written by the Apostle John and two believers facing persecution and dealing with false teachings. In this letter, John emphasizes the importance of fellowship with God and with one another. He also highlights the need for confession and the forgiveness of sin. So when we think about confession, it's often associated with admitting guilt, admitting wrongdoing, the failures and sins in our lives from a biblical context. And it goes beyond just confessing sin. The word confess in the Greek, is homo legio, which means to agree or to acknowledge or profess. So what we're doing in confession is agreeing with God's perspective on sin, and we're humbly confessing it to him. 
Like, God, this is what you said. This is how you've, you've called us to live. I acknowledge that. And I receive it, and this is how I've transgressed. This is how I've gone the other way. And because you're such a good and holy God, I'm asking for your forgiveness. I'm asking for your help in, in helping me to, to turn away from these things. It involves acknowledging our guilt and seeking forgiveness from God and from those people that we've wronged. So you... You've done something to somebody else. You need to go and confess to them and ask for their forgiveness. And again, it ain't easy, but it's necessary and it's good. It's also more than just a one-time event. Like, well, I, I confessed that years ago. I, I'm, I'm good. Are you are still wrapped up in this? Are you still sinning in that same way? then it's not done. Are you still having trouble in, in those areas? You're not finished with it just yet. We need to continuously go through the process of humbling ourselves before God and others. And again, because it's, it's right and it's good. In 1 John 1 and 9, we see that the confession leads to forgiveness and it, it cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So stuffing it down, it just keeps you dirty. It keeps you in the mud. It keeps you stuck. But when you're able to get it out verbally, that's when you see the mercy. That's when you see the forgiveness. That's when you see the grace. You see, confession brings freedom. In Psalm 32 and 5, David writes, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So even David had to come, and, and David, a man after God's own heart, he was still a sinner. He still made bad choices. He did bad things. He went the wrong way, but he acknowledged God and his law. Acknowledge who God is and what he's done, and he's asked forgiveness. This shows us that we need to confess our sins to God, and, and, and through that, we experience freedom from this guilt and shame. Remember, because that's why people want to go and hide. That's why people want to get away. They want to get in their little hole because they're dealing with this guilt and shame they don't know what to do with. But the answer is confession. Get it out of you and be cleansed from that. So you don't have to walk in that sin and shame. You don't have to continue to bear the weight of these sins. And you can find forgiveness. You can find peace in God through it. So confession brings freedom. Confession always also brings about healing and restoration. In James 5 and 16, we're encouraged to confess our sins to one another right? Not just to God. And we're also asked to pray for one another so that we can be healed. When we confess our struggles and weakness to one another, we invite accountability, which is kind of people don't like that word. They don't want to be accountable to somebody else. You don't mind people being accountable to you, but you don't want to be accountable to somebody else. But through this, we have accountability. We have support 
And this leads to spiritual growth. It leads to healing. Brothers and sisters, this is what we need to work on. This is what we're particularly bad at, is confessing to one another, humbling ourselves so that we would be accountable to somebody. James instructs believers who are struggling with sin to seek out faithful and trusted brothers and sisters in Christ and to be in prayer with them. That's what Scripture says. That's not what Von Sanders' edition says. This is what is, is, he's telling us to do. So when we're trapped by sin, it's, it's a battle that you don't have to fight alone. He put us together as a body of believers for this purpose and many others. Now, some of you might be thinking, I don't want nobody in my business. Like, you, I don't care what it says. I'm not, I'm not trying to air out my dirty laundry and have people knowing my business and spreading it around and all these types of things. Now, he's not suggesting that you go and tell any and everybody what's going on in your life. But he says you should be able to confide in mature believers who will provide biblical and practical support. He's not telling you to go and, and, and talk to, you know, your friend or, or somebody in your family that is going to tell you, well, I don't know why you let him do this and you shouldn't let them talk to you that way and what you should have done and could have done. And No. <laughs> Find somebody who is a mature believer and will take you to Scripture to make sure that you're both equipped with how to handle those situations. Somebody that will point you to Jesus because his opinion is the only one that matters. Their opinion does not matter. And they might feel like it does, and you might want them to feel that way. But the only opinion that matters is Jesus. That's who you should run to. That's who you should take counsel from. And if you go to somebody for counsel and they don't point you to Jesus, you need to find somebody else. Their feelings are going to get hurt. It might be a little touch and go, but it's for your well-being, it's for your healing, it's for your strength. And then you can point them to Jesus, and they can experience that healing and strength as well. You know, the sin in our lives is so powerful that it can create strongholds in our lives when we try to keep a secret. You, you spend your life trying to defend so nobody sees what's going on in your life. This, this hurt and this, this struggle, these transgressions that you're dealing with. You spend all your time and energy trying to keep people out so they don't, you don't, they don't get found out. But you're already found out. We know you're not perfect. We know you're not going to be on the straight and narrow all the time. None of us are. And we all need somebody to be there for us. You know, confessing that sin to someone also breaks the power of that stronghold. Were you able to sit with somebody who is mature and, and grounded in the Bible? It's so freeing to be able to admit what's going on in your life to them. When you get to experience love in that way, that they will listen, that they won't cast you aside 
and leave you out to flounder by yourself, but they would join you in prayer. They would lovingly comfort you. You know, when you try to cover it up, it just continues to pile on itself and it gets worse and worse. Psalm 3 and 2 says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. But I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's the Lord we serve. That's how much he loves you. That as bad as you think your sin is, it is still covered by the blood of Jesus. As far gone as you feel like you are, it's already been taken care of. There is nobody that has gone too far or done too much that can't be covered by the blood of Jesus. When he gave up his life on the cross, he said, it is finished. He paid the price already. You don't have to go back and try to pay more. His grace is sufficient. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he cares for you. You see, the secret behavior and these hidden sins should not exist in the fellowship of Christian believers. This is not how we should be operating. You should have somebody trusted in your circle that you can go to and just lay everything bare. And that you can seek forgiveness from the Lord that even if you transgress against somebody else, that you pray that the Lord will give you enough strength to even go to them and ask for forgiveness. Whether they accept it or not is none of your business. But you need to be obedient to ask them for their forgiveness. Ephesians 4 and 25, it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. That's what love looks like. When I love you enough to tell you you got food in your teeth. So we are to be children of light. And this is also expressed in Ephesians 5 and 8. It says, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are the light of the world. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good, right, and true. So be honest with those around you. And most important, brothers and sisters, be honest with yourself. That you, you don't have all your stuff together. And that's okay. That's what makes us who we are. And that's why he... He's put us together in the way that he has. So how do we apply this? What does this look like for you in your life? As a follower of Christ, I would say you need to, to cultivate a discipline of confession in your daily life. Because otherwise, 
it's like you're, you're just struggling and carrying this load on your shoulder everywhere you go. And, and when you add on more and more sin, it's just more and more burden that you're adding on to yourself. You're doing it to yourself. And the evil one comes in, it's like, oh, you better not tell nobody. Oh, they're going to judge you. They're going to do these things. If you, you just open your mouth and tell anybody about it, the, the evil one wants to keep you stuck where you are. He doesn't want you to experience freedom. He doesn't want you to experience mercy or grace. He wants to keep you stuck and drowning in your sin, shame, and guilt. That is not biblical. This includes regular self-examination, and we are going to God and acknowledge our sin to him, and we confess our sin to others as necessary as well. So first, confession starts with repentance. You know, confession is not just saying, I'm sorry, but it also involves some genuine remorse and a desire to turn away from that sin. So we need to be humble and contrite when we confess to God and others. Just lay it out, lay it bare. Sometimes you're not even thinking, just spit it out. <laughs> Have that person in your life like, I'm, I just need to tell you something. And they just listen, sit there and listen. Let, they just take it. Confession is necessary for spiritual growth as well. So as we confess our sins, we become more aware of our weakness and we get to see what it is that we need to improve. So if you're just going and act like you, everything's all good, then you're fooling yourself because these things can be improved. I know for me in, in my life, dealing with sin and going to confess and having somebody hold me accountable, you know, and, and so it's like, yes, I beat it. I finally beat it. The excitement and, and, and everything that's, that's come with that, only to turn around and something else pop, oh, I thought I beat this. Here I am back at square one. I still need to work on this, but it's like a muscle. It's like an exercise that you do where you're able to, at some point, be able to turn away and keep yourself out of the mud because you are, are going through and improving on those things. So confession is also not just for our own benefit. It has a lot of benefits for you individually, but in confessing our sins to one another, we not only seek forgiveness, but we also extend it to others. The people who are uh, comfortable coming to you, asking you for forgiveness when they wronged you. Or maybe you're that mature believer that someone can come to and lay their heart bare to you. This strengthens our relationships and builds a culture of grace and forgiveness within the church, within this very local church. You see, in a community of believers, confession and forgiveness should be a constant practice. Like everything else, we practice, we get in the habit of doing these things. And while it might not be easy to start, maybe it'll get easier later. Or maybe not. But just knowing that we have brothers and sisters here who's going to love us and support us regardless 
of whether it's easy or not for us. So we need to create this safe, non-judgmental environment where we can openly confess our own struggles, knowing that we're going to be met with love, knowing that we're going to be met with support and forgiveness. That's what I want for us. That this truly be a sanctuary for those who would come and seek to follow Jesus in the best way that they can. And when there's struggle, when there's strife, that we can be there as your brothers and sisters to help. But each of you has to participate. So confession here is a vital spiritual discipline that opens up the door for growth and healing in our lives. It requires humility. It requires honesty. And it also requires vulnerability, not just before God, but also before others. So as we confess our sins, we experience the freedom and the grace found only in Jesus Christ. And our relationships with others and with God and our community through these things are strengthened. We will become better as iron sharpens iron. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your never-ending love and grace. Father, help us to cultivate a discipline of confession in our lives so that it can lead us toward healing and, and growth. And Father, we need you as we sang earlier, especially when it comes to this particular subject. Help us to have the vulnerability and humility that is necessary to come to you and to go to others to express our sin and confess them, to ask for support, to ask for accountability so that we can be strengthened through it. Help us to be a community of believers who humbly confess our sins to one another and we, uh, through that, show your love and forgiveness to those who are around us. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.